and welcome everybody to Fretz's Fave 5 right here on the Wrestle Addict Radio Patreon. I am Mr. Fretz from the Game Changer Podcast. And instead of giving you my favorite five moments in wrestling in the past week, I'm going to do something a little different, at least for the foreseeable future. Now, as far as I know, we're still going to have a little bit of wrestling because for some reason it is deemed an essential service. Now, I love my wrestling because, well, I'm obviously talking to you about it. They ain't no damn way that wrestling is essential. Hospital workers are essential. Uh, grocery workers, myself, are essential. Although when people thank me, I tell them to thank a nurse instead because, you know, I'm just stocking shelves and cleaning stuff. <laughs> so anyways, the theme of Fretz's Fay 5 this week is going to be my top five favorite wrestlers of all time. Now, current favorite wrestlers are going to be a list in and of itself. That's actually going to be a future future episode, and maybe I'll do things like my favorite matches, my favorite gimmicks, uh, and even some fantasy booking thrown in here and there. Or my favorite five, my least favorite five maybe as well, my top five most hated wrestlers. There's not that many people on that list. I can come up with five. So, without further adieu, number five... Edge. Now, Edge is a local boy. Even though I grew up in Cannington, Ontario, Canada, a small town about an hour and a half northwest of Toronto, and Edge grew up in Orangeville, which is just an hour, I don't know, east, west, I don't know my directions of Toronto. Anyways, uh, Edge is a sentimental favorite. Well, at first, it was because he's an Ontario boy. You know, people like Val Venus, Christian, Bobby Roode, uh, Joey Legend, all these people, uh, Jason Sensation, all these wrestlers were Ontario guys, and it's something up here that we took a sense of pride in, you know, test, God rest his soul. It's something in Ontario, in at least the Toronto area, we took pride in. And over the years, as Edge grew from a silent assassin type to a, a brooding vampire type to a complete goofball to the rated R superstar that we know and love, Edge is a guy whose career I followed from beginning to the end, and now I guess we can call this the epilogue of his career, you know, WrestleMania's last man standing match with Randy Orton, his surprise appearance in the Royal Rumble. Uh, just amazing, and some of my highlights for, for Edge's career that come to mind. Uh, him winning the Intercontinental title from Jeff Jarrett at a house show in Toronto was huge. You know, unfortunately I couldn't go to this event because, well, I couldn't get to the city because I was 15, didn't have a driver's license, and I was recouping from 
from my uh, spinal fusion surgery. That's kind of something, in a way, Edge and I share in common. He doesn't have like the metal rods fused to his spine that I do, but he has something like that in his neck. Like Chiappa has the same thing, and I don't want to say it's an unspoken bond between those people because I've never met either of them. But Edge, my goodness, Edge is just someone amazing. I've I've always loved him. There are times I've loved to hate him. Uh, his comedy with Christian is just cringy, hilarious stuff, and especially, for, you know, his backstage antics with Mick Foley into the mix. I'm going to be getting in that, into that in the 20 Bell Salute in the coming months, and I can't wait. Like, his tag team run with Christian, the TLC matches, like, he had a ladder match with, did he have a ladder match with Christian? He did. And it should have been better, but, I don't know, maybe just something didn't click that night. Edge and Christian's singles matches against each other, I don't think had this, had, you know, the gravitas that, say, Edge's feud with John Cena had, or even his feud with Matt Hardy, because it especially had a little bit of personal animosity and real-life drama rolled into it. Edge was always a someone I thought was insanely talented and early in his career, I think around 99-2000, I think I told my friends that, you know, that man's going to be the WWF champion. They're like, oh, that guy? Seriously? I'm like, oh no. Look at him. You know, he, he looks like a guy who I was going to have in the fifth spot, like Chris Jericho. He's about the size and the agility and the talent of a young Chris Jericho, although they're not that much older than each other, maybe a few years in between them, if, if a decade. And, yeah, and then when he transformed from, like, you think you know me, Edge, because his 04 return, I mean, it stank. I mean, he wasn't getting the crowd reactions he wanted. SummerSlam 04 in his hometown in Toronto got all the boos and all the cheers went to uh, one of his opponents in Batista. So that there was the catalyst of the rated R superstar gimmick, you know, on top of the real life drama with, with Lita and Matt Hardy as well. Uh, his TLC match with John Cena stands out as something amazing in my life. Uh, his last match with Del Rio, when I didn't even think for a second that he was going to retire. I knew nothing. Like, I'd known about his neck problems well, since they began, since he broke like broke it in 2003. You know, he's supposed to take place, take part in a six-man tag with, I think it was like Benoit and Rhino against... Him, him, Benoit, and Rhino against uh, Team Angle. I mean, Edge and Benoit, there were some good matches there. Edge part of the SmackDown 6 with, you know, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero. His match with Eddie Guerrero, my gosh. Oh, man, that SmackDown match, and they broke out the ladder, and Eddie did the sunset flip powerbomb off the top of it to Edge. Mwah. Just perfect. I, I can go on and on, but my favorite Edge match stands out as something that might be my favorite all-time match. 
and that is TLC 2 from WrestleMania X7 with, you know, Oh, by God, Edge, the 20-foot ladder and the spear. As God is my witness, he has broken in half. And in that match, you know, I read in Edge's book and actually heard on the ENC pod of awesomeness that that spear that he did to Jeff, well, he kind of gave himself a DDT. And how did either of them not die in that match is beyond me and how they are both wrestling today is nothing short of a miracle. So number five, Edge, you know, I'm not going to sit here and wiki the rest of his career. I gave you my highlights. And one of my other favorite matches is also against the man who is my number four favorite of all time. The Undertaker. You know that when that gong hits, you know, business is about to pick up. And Undertaker is a guy, is a wrestler, who I knew even before I got into wrestling. I mean, of course he made his debut at the 1990 Survivor Series on Ted DiBiase's team, managed at one time, by brother love until they found a man who would fit the gimmick perfectly that is the late Percy Pringle aka Paul Bearer God rest his soul too and you know Paul Bearer was actually a registered mortician which made or like which made you know the Undertaker's gimmick better and made it more legit. I mean, I mean, Paul Bearer was an undertaker. Now, Taker is another guy who is still wrestling today at 50 plus years old. And when I first laid eyes on The Undertaker, I was just uh, blown away. I mean, I couldn't have been more than nine years old. I'm over at a friend's house and he had some old-school WWF tapes, and I think one of the matches on there was The Undertaker versus Papa Shango. There was, like, you know, Hulk Hogan was on that tape, and, like, Repo Man and Bret Hart, all these wrestlers I knew before I got into it. Like, I got into wrestling maybe around 94. The first match I remember seeing is Bret Hart versus Owen Hart, but I also remember seeing, like, the Undertaker versus might have been Yokozuna, might have been Quang, uh, but this is a guy that just kind of he scared me. But I also respected him. I also got into him. You know, Undertaker's shirt was the first piece of wrestling merch I ever owned. Like my cousin went to a show in Toronto and brought me back a Taker shirt because he knew that. At the time, Taker was my favorite. And although a few more guys have taken that spot from him, he's always someone who will stand out. And someone I will always love. I mean, my goodness. My favorite Taker match has to be the series he did with Shawn Michaels at, I think it was 25 and 26. You know, where Michaels put his career on the line and 
did everything he could to get that second match with Taker. My goodness, uh, what else did he like Triple H, even though the American Badass, when he transitioned over to that, it was okay for a little bit, but after a year, I'm like, okay, where's, where's Dead Man? Where's where's Zombie Taker? Where's you know where's my Undertaker? My Undertaker? Uh, his series with Mankind. I mean, those stand out. For me, because that was peak wrestling obsession, you know, 1996 is when I started watching, you know, like every single week I was tuned into Monday Night Raw or I was taping it if I couldn't stay up that late, you know, stay up past nine, which at 12 years old, that was actually a common thing. You know, we had these things called bedtimes, kids. (laughs) Uh, Mankind stands out to me as Undertaker's best opponent. Because he was the first person to really put him to the test. I mean, if you look at the first five or six, five and a half years of his WWE run, who was he put against? Okay, Hulk Hogan, big test. Okay, uh, maybe Mankind was his second, but, you know, the power of Hulkamania. And Undertaker was kind of a the immovable, immovable force meeting the immovable object because Hulk Hogan was your invincible... Uh, can't be beat, you know, Undertaker will hit the tombstone, then Hulk Hogan will spike up, and you, one, two, three, bootleg drop, one, two, three, except not actually, because Undertaker has that same invincible force kind of combination of the two that I just said. (laughs) Uh, Something otherworldly about him, and the fact that he was basically immortal for the first while of his career... You know, through the power of the urn. Oh, yes. And, you know, the double wide, double deep casket for you, Yokozuna. My undertaker will bury you. Oh, yes. And the best thing about the Paul Bearer-Taker pairing is that Paul Bearer didn't have to do all the talking because Taker could cut a promo too. Even if it was just as simple as rest. In peace. As simple as that. I mean, he had feuds with Giant Gonzalez. Yokozuna, Yokozuna was another big test, but not not a threat in the way that Mankind was. Because Mankind was actually able to defeat the Undertaker clean with the Mandible Claw. I mean, if you look at the ways that Undertaker have lost over the years. Hulk Hogan, uh, Earn Ashes to the Face and Schoolboy. Uh, I think Sid beat him by countout at a house show in Europe. I think he hit like the power bomb on the floor or something. Uh, let's see, Gonzalez. No, Gonzalez never beat him, but Gonzalez beat the crap out of him a couple of times. And then they had a series of terrible matches. See, Mabel beat him, but only because of interference and the urn being turned into a chain by the Godfather. Or Kama, as he was then known. Let's see who else beat who else beat him. Uh, Bret Hart beat him, but that was a steel chair. Although that was a little later. That was after Mankind. But Mankind, that mandible claw was put over as the most vicious thing ever, and it put down Taker. And Paul Bearer turned on the Undertaker at SummerSlam '96 after that bo- boiler room brawl match, which was whew, it was something else. 
it's one of the first things I remember seeing like hardcore match wise. It was wow. And if we go on through the rest of his career, you know, he's a multi-time WWE champion. And then Kane came along. You know, uh, Glenn Jacobs had a bevy of failed gimmicks in the WWE and USWA. You know, the Christmas Creature and Unabomb. He was actually USW Smoky Mountain Tag Team Champions with Al Snow. There's a <laughs> pop quiz for you. And, you know, of course, Isaac Yankum, the, the evil dentist. Fake Diesel, let's let's forget that exists. But then when Paul Bear started talking about, you know, you have a long lost brother, you know, Kane is alive. Kane's alive, Undertaker. We finally had the proper villain or frenemy because they would be friends and enemies and friends and enemies and have two WrestleMania matches. And uh, I'll be talking about the streak uh, Nate and I on the Game Changer podcast at some point. And uh, I have a fantasy booking about Kane and the streak, which you know you might find interesting, but that's going to be a future episode. So yeah, and the rest of Undertaker's run, I mean, he's still going. I mean, he just had a Boneyard match with AJ, which was so much fun, so entertaining, just perfect cheese. Uh, you know, coming out to his... You know, motorcycle to Metallica and and all that. Uh, coming back to the Dead Man persona in 04 was good. And the fact that he was able to stay relevant while not having to reinvent himself too much uh, was perfect. And then he became a special attraction. Uh, the streak, which never should have lost, never should have been gone in my opinion. But I do have a couple of fantasy scenarios on how that would play out, but you have to stay tuned for that. As I said, for the rest of these guys, I'm not going to wiki their whole career. Uh, Taker wrestled somebody who is my number three here. Actually, he wrestled the next three entries. So I've gabbled on on and off about The Undertaker. He's always been a spe very special wrestler in my life. But number three, he takes the cake. Who else but Stone Cold Steve Austin? Now, when I first saw Austin in 1996, I hated him. Hated him, well, mostly because TV was telling me to boo him because he was a... He was a hero! And but there was something about him that also drew me to him a little bit. When he was dissing uh, my boy Bret Hart, I wasn't digging it. It wasn't until Bret Hart became a smarmy little prick that I got to really get into Stone Cold. And that, his uh, submission match with, with Bret at WrestleMania 13 was a turning point for me. Because then he got the love. Then he got the respect that he had deserved from the start, you know, since coming into the WWE. Like, WrestleMania 12, the year previous, was a mid-card match with Savio Vega, and he was still being managed by Ted DiBiase. He, no offense to anyone in there, DiBiase is one of the all-time greatest heels. Savio Vega is a criminally underrated wrestler. He deserved to have an Intercontinental run, in my opinion. 
But when Austin was was coming in, you could tell they were gonna they were gonna do something big with him. And I'm glad they did. Like you know, Stone Cold eventually became like the blue collar workers model. Like you know, the guys like you know you like, oh yeah, Stone Cold. Yeah, I hate my boss, and Stone Cold gets to punch him in the face every week. <laughs> I've never had bad bosses. I've actually been blessed with that because I've spent most of my life working working for family. You know, my my family used to have a butcher shop. Uh, then I had you know various other jobs at you know at, at restaurants, factories, colleges, and now working for my family again. I've never had that because they've all been good. So. Steve Austin, when he went on his run towards the WWE title, when he was just causing ruckus and riot and stirring up stuff on Raw every week, that's when he was just getting over. I mean, if the uh, SummerSlam 97 incident never happened, I think we could have seen the crowning of, of Austin 316 before WrestleMania, even. Uh, my goodness. My favorite Austin matches, as I, said, as I said, his submission match with Bret Hart. I did like his match with, with HBK at Mania 14. And although 98, he, he had a great run with the title. I mean, he had his feud with with dude love and all of the corporation trying to do everything they can to get the title off of Austin by having, you know, Pat Patterson as a guest referee, Gerald Briscoe as a special guest, uh, timekeeper, uh, McMahon as this and all the odds threw at Austin and he won, you know, King of the ring 98, he lost the title to Kane in a first blood match, but that was because, well, Taker came out with a chair, uh, which was intended for Kane, and you know Austin wins it back the next night. Uh, although it was really silly, there is there is a specific reason Austin's feud with the Undertaker stands out stands out for me. It's because well, I said it before, <laughs> summer of '99 was my spinal fusion recovery summer, and. The day I got home from the hospital was the day after King of the Ring. Was it the day after King of the Ring? Yeah, it was the day after King of the Ring 99. And uh, Austin got a title shot against against Taker. The match itself was just your standard big man versus Steve Austin match. But I remember watching from my couch, you know, surrounded by my little fortress of pillows watching this match and trying not to wake up my my family uh when when stone cold won because <laughs> it, it 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 just uh, it was so good you know he had a good run up until the end of 99 just because of his neck surgery and after that i mean he was very limited in the ring he could still entertain cut a promo you know do like sing-alongs with the crowd <laughs> and yeah i mean he didn't last long after that you know in 02 he he went home for a while he was burnt out and you know he took his ball it depends who you ask right i've always been a steve austin apologist 
you know, except for, you know, that incident with Deborah, which I'm not going to talk about. Uh, yeah, Steve, he was everyone's favorite wrestler in high school. Like, I saw him at one of my only house shows I've ever been to. You know, Steve Austin wrestled on it, and he tagged with Mick Foley up against Owen Hart and Jim Neidhart. And although Owen and Jim got the Canada pop, I mean, Steve was over. He was over like Grover, man. And I walked out of there with an Austin 316 shirt, and everyone in my class was super jealous. They they hated me after that. Then I wore to church, and they hated me even more. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Steve Austin, always loved him. You know, I always used to do things like dole out stunners to my friends in the hallway. Whenever we'd wrestle, I'd always, I'd always use the stunner. And my mom had one guy who used to like sell it almost like the rock. Like he would jump back, like, you know, and hit himself on a locker. Like, Brett, are you okay, man? <laughs> Seriously, that, that was fun. And, you know. Yeah, Steve was like the modern day Hogan. Now, hear me out. Hear me out. I mean, Hogan got wrestling into the forefront with the Rock and Wrestling Connection. And once that kind of grew stale, there was a bit of a, a lull period until Steve Austin came along. And he made liking wrestling cool. Uh, his attitude. He was always flipping the bird, drinking beers, coming out with Zamboni, cement trucks, beer trucks, uh you name it. Steve Austin's the man. He he will all, he'll always stand out for me. These next two, however, stand head and shoulders above the rest. They are brothers. You can take a guess at who they are, but in which place are they? Number two is none other than Brett Hitman. Hurt. Now, Brett was another wrestler who I was aware of and who I knew about, like, before I got into watching wrestling full-time. You know, my old friend, uh, John, my buddy Double J, shout out, shout out to you, Johnny, uh, was a big Bret Hart fan when he was a kid. Um, I first met him in third grade. And one of the first things he showed me was a Bret Hart match. You know, he was the same guy that showed me The Undertaker and, and all those. He he helped me a little bit get into wrestling that my cousin ultimately got me obsessed with. So, and they're both named John, which is kind of funny. So Bret Hart was a guy that I thought, okay, this guy can go. He's a role model for the kids. He always talked about, you know, Believe in yourself, you can achieve anything, and always stand up for what is right. And that's something that that kids up here in Canada, we took it to heart, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, Brett was one of the most gifted wrestlers of all time, coming from a dynasty of, of wrestlers from, from the Hart family. Uh, his, his feud with his brother Owen, it was a, one of the first things I remember seeing. Like, I was at uh, another cousin's house. Uh, not not John, but another another cousin on the fret side of the family. I go down in the basement, and they're watching Bret Hart versus Owen Hart from WrestleMania 10. Like, oh, it's this? Like, oh, these two brothers are fighting. Like, 
why? I mean, I work for my brother now. <laughs> it's like, we never really fought. I mean, brothers argue. That was us when we were younger. Now we're fun. We're good. We're good. So Brett was always the always the guy, always like the hero, the kind of the, the post-Hogan hero. Even when that era of wrestling became irrelevant, like when he came back in 1996, things were a little different, you know. Attitude has changed, you know, there was a bit more profanity. Uh, your role model was now Steve Austin, and Brett was like, you know, Steve Austin is no, is no role model, what's going on here? Uh, and he tried to continue to be that guy, and he became, and continued, I'm sorry, to be that hero for Canada during 1997 when he had the Canada versus America feud and me, a young, impressionable 13-year-old viewer, or a mark, if you will, if you want to use that word, which is dumb, I was booing Brett a little bit because, you know, why are you being a dick to America? What did they do to you? Uh, you're the one who changed, Brett. I was I was saying all that. And now, um, now as I'm looking back, you know, as a Canadian patriot myself, uh, I loved it. I, like, every chance he could get to crap on the United States, he took it. Like, you know, he said the whole country was shaped like a giant toilet bowl. And, like, I look at it, and I'm like, well, you're not wrong. <laughs> no offense. Uh, you know, I am the sole Canadian here on Russell Attic Radio. Uh, although I still haven't heard uh, Slack. Uh, I haven't heard your your debut promo yet, bud. Uh, where are you at? <laughs> Uh, I I just loved it, and like I look at the I look at the shape and likeness, and the bowl that you poop in is in the Gulf of Mexico. <clears throat> I'm just gonna move on from that. Uh, yeah, Brett. I mean, he got his start early. He was in the WWE. I think the year I was born. Like I was born in '84, and he he came along not long after that with Jim Neidhart and Jimmy Hart. No relation. Uh, as the Hart Foundation. Now, that was a tag team, one of the first tag teams I saw, too. And I'm like, these guys are great. I mean, this Anvil dude, God rest his soul, he's a tank. This guy reminds me of, uh, uh, insert a friend of mine who looked like that, who was like a big, he looked like a fat guy, but he's a big burly tank of a guy who could toss, he could probably toss Jim Neidhart. He could probably toss the Anvil the anvil that Jim Neidhart had with one finger. <laughs> he was big boy. Hey, Iggy. <laughs> so, you know, Brett, you know, he was that hero, as I said, to, to us in Canada. And we took pride in him. When I say that we took pride in our Canadian wrestlers, Brett Hart was the grandfather of that, the pioneer of that. He got us all in. Like, after, after Hogan had left, you know, some people had petered off. Like, Hogan, Warrior, they're gone. Savage is on commentary. Who's who's our hero? Who's next? And, you know, Bret Hart took that pedestal. And as the WWE went into the new generation, uh, they built that around stars like Bret Hart and Scott Hall, The Undertaker, uh, Kevin Nash, and, and all these people. And while the new gen also had... You know, Fantasio, Quang, and Mantar, you had Bret Hart. And 
My favorite Bret Hart match, well, it's either against Austin or it's against the man who is my number one all-time favorite wrestler. And of course, it is no one other than... Where this man? The late, the great Owen Hart. Now, he became my favorite wrestler long after he had passed away. I mean, Bret Hart was my number one for a long, long time. But Owen Hart was the guy who I also loved to watch. When I was a kid, Owen Hart was the guy I loved to hate, much like Ric Flair. Uh, Owen was the guy I always wanted to see Brett just kick the crap out of because he was being a smarmy little prick. However, at the same time, Owen Hart is the baby brother of the family. And so am I. I mean... My brother and I, we get along great. There's never been any jealousy or animosity. I couldn't be happier for him. However, I still understand Owen Hart's jealousy and all that. Had I been a different person, maybe I would relate, but y you know what I mean. I relate, but I don't. Love you, bro. So, when Brett left, there was a hole that had to be filled in the WWE. And no, it wasn't by Degeneration X's constant dick jokes. It was it was Owen Hart, who was, you know, the soul heart, the black heart, the survivor of the family, because, you know, Nightheart, Bulldog, Brett, they all left. You know, Brian Pil Pillman. Pillman passed away before all this happened and it just broke my heart. Owen, I just can't help but smile when I think of him because I, as I said, I got into him and got really invested in him after he had passed because, well, I was only 15 when he passed away and I was actually watching Over the Edge 99 live, you know, in my buddy Dave's basement and we were speechless I mean this was a wrestler who earlier that night I was booing and making fun of and now he's passed on and I felt so guilty I felt so bad I mean the next day was a holiday so we didn't have school so you know we went back to Dave's and uh, played I think it was Warzone on the N64 and I was just adamant that I had to be Owen Hart because I had to redeem myself from all the vile things that I said about him. Not only that night, but over the years. <laughs> but Owen, once I started hearing about him being like a little stinker and a little uh, pranker, oh, I got to love him. And then he became my favorite through that. You know, mostly because Brett was kind of being... He's kind of been a douche in his older years, but who who doesn't? 
I mean, I don't blame him for a lot of the stuff, but him doing like, you know, four stars when clearly it was a good thing or a good match, whatever. But Owen, he was always someone I wanted to succeed, especially when Brett left. I wanted to see Owen like kick Triple H's head off because Triple H is, well, here's a sneak preview. He's one of my most hated wrestlers of all time. Still to this day, I can't stand him. And I always wanted to see Owen just beat beat the crap out of him in HBK. And yeah, and he was always such a sweetheart to his family, his friends. You know, one thing that stands out is uh, I met Jason Sensation. And, you know, the guy that dressed up as Owen Hart in that DX versus the Nation uh, thing. The less said about some stuff in that, the better. But the guy that did the Owen Hart impression, Jason, he nailed it. I mean, he could nail a lot of wrestlers' impressions. You know, when I met him, he was doing he was doing Kurt Angle impressions. And this was when Kurt was brand new into the business. I mean, in July 2000, I'm going to talk about that indie show that he was featured in. But one thing he told me is that Owen was a genuine angel, like a super nice guy. It's like, you know, I'll never forget what he did for me. He was so sweet. And, like, you know, did the sharpshooter hurt? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think Owen would lay in a few hits, but Owen was also a guy who would, you know, bunk with fans or take fans on the road because he was being stingy on gas. <laughs> and, yeah, Owen would always do things like, you know, put sardines in his tights or break out a foreign object for his opponent to sell to Owen only it to be like a facial tissue or the the one of the best things i remember is uh um or when he called when he called his dad in the hotel pretending to be reg parks and he's like oh i'll fight you old man i'll I'll fight you meet me in the lobby and then Stu finally smartens up hangs up the phone and brett like yeah yeah fucking new and got me good or Owen and the Bulldog. Oh, Owen and the Bulldog. That tag team run was nothing short of glorious. And them on TV, like, Owen would try to, like, upstage Bulldog, like, get in front of him and pose, especially when Owen won his second Slammy. And he would always just, like, they would always just be like, you know, <laughs> shoving buddies. <laughs> and they would be, like, the pranking duo. Like, Ahmed Johnson told the story of when, uh, they would come to his hotel room, uh, take a big dump, not flush it, and turn the heat all the way up just so it would stink to high heaven even worse. Uh, what was his other his other ribs? Like I I, I can't think of them off the top of my head because I I did two like hour long Owen Hart tribute episodes last year, which was the twentieth anniversary of his passing, and. I know there's a dark side of the ring with him coming up on May 19th and that's going to be such a hard watch. But Owen, as I said, posthumously, he became my favorite wrestler, like especially when WWE graced us with that DVD that they released of him, you know, much to the chagrin of Martha. And a lot of people are calling Martha a bitch and, uh, and all these things. But she's Owen's widow. She has, you know, his estate i mean i don't blame her like i don't blame her for not wanting to have anything to do with wrestling or not put on in the hall of fame i mean it's her choice 
I mean, Brett's like, hey, do it. And Martha's, you know, no. And, and I'm, I would love to see Owen get inducted in the Hall of Fame. I mean, the Bulldogs freaking getting inducted this year. And I wish that this virus wasn't a thing because we would have saw it. We would have saw, you know, Georgia Hart come out, like his, his daughter and Harry Smith. I don't know, Georgia Smith and Harry Smith come out and induct their dad, induct Bulldog, because he's bizarre. And, you know, Owen's feud with Brett, I mean, they stand out as among some of my favorite matches ever. You know, as I said, Edge TLC 2 is all-time. Owen and Brett in the cage is a close number two. Or even Owen Owen and Brett at WrestleMania 10 was a technical masterpiece telling a beautiful story in the process you know like the jealous little brother wanted to upstage the big brother and he beat him he beat him clean in the middle of the ring at wrestlemania 10 why owen hart didn't get a title run or should i say a legit one because if you google owen hart wins the wwf championship you see him win it although it was overturned you know much like you know savio vega's intercontinental title run i think Aldo montoya had something like that with Jeff Jarrett as well. Uh, Bob Holly had something like that with Jarrett. All these phantom title wins. I mean, that's a genre in itself I got to dig way deep into because it would actually be somewhat fascinating. <sighs> Owen was taken from us far too soon. That stupid, reckless accident at Over the Edge 99. <sighs> Man, it's a damn shame. Because, well, I did some fantasy booking about if Owen Hart lived. And in that, I put him in a feud with Kurt Angle. Oh, and like eight days before the, the before his death, Owen wrestled the dark match with Kurt. Whew, man, to be a fly on the wall for that match, I cannot imagine. I hope it comes out uh, somewhere and somehow, either if I can find it on YouTube, Daily Motion, or if WWE releases it as part of a special... I think someday might we might see Owen in the Hall of Fame. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. Oh my goodness. Uh, what else? What else do I have about Owen Hart? You want to go into that? Go into my Fretzelmania archives from about May last year, and you'll see my two-parter of of Owen Hart tributes, and you'll you'll learn more about my absolute love for Owen Hart. You know, and that's something I think is neat. I, I share that special bond with Ant. You know, Ant Stefano, Rant with Ant, the Rant, uh, Wizwit podcast. Give him a follow. You know, Owen Hart's his favorite, too. But the thing is with me, oh, as I said, Owen Hart became a favorite posthumously, like especially when I got wind of his, some of his New Japan matches and some of his, some of his other stuff and his pranks and his stories. I could, I could sit here forever, but I've been here for 43 minutes talking about my top five all-time favorites and... There you have it, folks. Those are my top five favorite wrestlers of all time. What do you think? Who are your top five? Be sure to drop that in the comments below or tweet me at TheLegendaryJF. And hey, you can, you can let me know what your deal is, what your favorites are. So next week, Fretz's Fave 5, well, it's going to have a new theme. Um... As I said, even though there's still a bit of wrestling going on for some reason, I'm just not going to do five favorite moments because there's not a lot. Although I enjoyed Gargano uh, Champa last week, 
not enough to talk about it. As I said, I gave you my WrestleMania things. And even Nate and I did a two-hour episode about it. So you'll hear about it then. If you have a favorite five category you want me to cover, also let me know. So, folks, I know this uh, this time in the world is uh, sucking. I'm recording this on Easter Sunday. Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. So if you find solace in that, bless you. If you're not religious, bless you as well. So thank you very much, everybody. I love you. God bless you. Peace out.